to the Huntley Baptist Church podcast. We hope that this message can be an encouragement to you today. Please feel free to contact us at huntleybaptist at extra.co.nz or visit us at huntleybaptist.com. Today I'm going to talk about something uh, called It All Points to Jesus. A few weeks ago, a famous Christian said, It all points to Jesus. Well, I thought, that's a pretty powerful statement, isn't it? I wonder what he means. It all points to Jesus. And I figured it out for myself. He must have meant the Bible, I think. Does all the Bible point to Jesus? Well, it probably does. Listen to this. Right at the beginning of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 3, there's there's an episode happens where, as you know, the serpent comes along and he tricks Adam and Eve. He wrecks the human race. The temptation just spoils God's plan. But as God sorts that out, he puts a curse on the serpent, on Satan. And this is what he says. I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. You see, right there at the very beginning, as the whole human race fell from grace, God made a prediction. The one to sort out Satan will not be a great big mighty archangel. It won't be a cherubim or a seraphim. It will be a human being born of Eve's descendants. Right back there, it all points to Jesus. And at the very end of the Bible, in Revelation chapter 22, it says this, he who, the faith, he who is the faithful witness to all these things says, Yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Yes, please. It all points to Jesus. In 1741, Georges Frederick Handel decided he wanted to write a musical work about Jesus. So he asked his friend Charles Jennings for some good scriptures that he could use. And I guess you're thinking, oh, well, he probably chose some from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John because they wrote about Jesus, didn't they? But wait till you hear what Charles came up with. 52 scriptures from Isaiah, Haggai, Malachi, Matthew, Luke, Zechariah, John, Psalms, Lamentations, Hebrews, Romans, Revelation, Job, the oldest book in the Bible, 1 Corinthians. He didn't even use my scripture that I just read or the one Murray talked about last week. 52 scriptures. So Handel wrote 52 movements or 52 songs. He got into a kind of creative trance. He worked so fast that if you look at the original manuscript for it, he wrote, the notes got bigger and bigger as he kind of wrote faster and faster. He wrote three hours of music in 24 days, and people say he hardly ate. He hardly slept. He was so excited, and I like to believe that all through it he was saying, it all points to Jesus, but I don't know. I just made that bit up. Nearly 300 years later, the piece of music that he wrote is probably the most performed piece of music in the world. Two weeks ago, it was performed in Hamilton. The place was pretty full, wasn't it, Iris? And uh, wherever, he, and that's, that's halfway around the world from where he wrote it. And uh, you know it. What did he call his piece of music? Do you know? Messiah. He called it one word, Messiah. So, right. You, who knows the hallelujah? Hallelujah. 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 Who's heard that? 
See, well, here we are right around the world. Not all of you, but there we are. Some, of you, some people are too shy to put their hand up. And when the King of England heard the Hallelujah Chorus, he stood to his feet in respect because as the choir boomed out these words, King of kings, Lord of lords, and he shall reign forever and ever, the King of England realized that he was out-kinged by the King of kings. He stood to respect his king, and ever since then, people have tended to stand up during the Hallelujah Chorus. It all points to Jesus. And today, I'm going to get you to listen to Movement 12, or Song Number 12. It's taken from Isaiah 9, and I'm going to ask you to listen to it. I'm going to ask you to listen and see, what does this song tell us about Jesus? What does it teach us about Jesus? Your target, if you're very clever, is six things. You can learn six things about Jesus from this song. And if you say, I'm not, I don't really like that kind of music, tough. Harden up for 90 seconds because I listen to your fellow's music, so get over it. Okay, away we go, Samuel. This week I've I've <laughs> I'm getting I'm tearing up a bit here. This week I've I've dealt with so much sadness and loss and hurt and broken people. And this song going through my head all week, reminding me about Jesus and the people in this room who've written me encouraging texts telling me that they're thinking about me. This is what strengthens me. Now let's think about that. What did you now well done by the way, well done. If you're under 50, you get a certificate saying, I listen to 90 seconds of old school music. Now, what did that tell us about Jesus? What does the first thing that it said? For unto us a child is born. In other words, what Isaiah said hundreds and hundreds of years after the book of Genesis is, he's saying, and he's saying is born because he's a prophet of God. Even though this isn't going to happen for hundreds of years to Isaiah, it's happening right now. And as he says, this child of, of Eve's line is going to be born. A child is born, the one that God talked about in the Garden of Eden. What's the next line say? Unto us a son is given. It will be a male child. And the male child who is given will be a gift, a gift to us. You can see why we're talking about this as we lead up to Christmas, can't you? 
What was the next thing that it said about Jesus? The government will be upon his shoulders. The time will come when Jesus will reign, he will rule, he will be the government. And one person who knows that is Winston Peters because he studied the Bible a lot. So the government we have now will last a certain time, but there will be a government who lasts forever, and Jesus is the government. What's the next thing that came up in that song? His name shall be called Wonderful. That's because in the King James Version of the Bible, which was used for this, there's a comma put between wonderful and counselor. I don't know why, because it's not in the original Hebrew. So we say that Jesus is a wonderful counselor. By the way, one of the reasons that this piece of music was so well received all through Ireland and England was it was written in English in the day when, when Italian was the language of, of highbrow music. It's written in English so we can understand it. Thank you, Lord, for Mr. Jennings. All right. So, wonderful counselor. What's next? Mighty God. How could that be? A baby is mighty God. The Jews were told it was going to happen and they didn't recognize it. The Muslims are horrified. They'd kill me for saying it. But somehow the mighty God is going to be a tiny baby. Unbelievable. Don't miss the next few messages in this church. Luckily, I didn't have to preach on that one. What's the next one? The everlasting father. This baby will be an everlasting father. And what's the next one? The prince of peace. Come, Lord Jesus, we need you now. All right. My job is to talk about wonderful counselor. You know, we can learn a lot from names, can't we? So let's think about this name of Jesus, because as we think about the name, we'll learn about him. Wonderful. What does that word mean? It's a word like awesome that's lost a lot of its meaning and impact through the years. Wonderful actually means full of wonder. It's also translated in the Bible as astonishing, astonishing counselor, amazing. Wow, look what Jesus just did. That's what that word wonderful means. And now let's think about that word counselor. I wonder if that's changed its meaning. In Oxford languages, it says counselor means a person trained to give guidance on personal or psychological problems. A marriage counselor, for example. So we think of a shrink with a diploma on the wall. But back in the Bible times, a counselor meant this. The, word, the Hebrew word, yawatz, means consult, somebody you consult, somebody who advises you, somebody who gives advice, somebody who helps you with planning. That's what that counselor meant at that time. And so we have the king and his wise men. You know, the king talks with his wise men before he does something. Those wise men are the counselors. Now, back in Bible times, they didn't have a diploma on the wall. But what they did have was life experience. They'd been around. They thought. Now, there was one story in the Bible where a king disastrously chose young counselors, and they gave him really dumb advice. So some life experience is very good with, for counselors. King Solomon was called the most wise man ever. You've heard that, haven't you? And King Solomon, this very, very wise man, wrote this in Proverbs 15. Without counsel... Plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. And one of the things that Solomon was wise about was he knew he needed other people to run his ideas by, because we do, don't we? We all need counselors. 
And sadly, sometimes in churches, you will find a church where somebody is the boss of the church and he thinks that he hears from God, he doesn't listen to anybody else, and that is a recipe for danger. You've all heard of churches who went down the wrong track because the boss of the church, usually male, wouldn't listen to anyone else. So counselors are important. So is Jesus really a wonderful, astonishing counselor? Can we consult Jesus? Will he advise us? Will he help us with our planning? Has he got wisdom to help us with our problems? Listen to this story from John chapter 8. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. That means she was caught with a man who wasn't her husband. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman who was caught in the act of adultery, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. Jesus is stonker, isn't he? If he says, kill the, all right, stone the woman, then the, his whole image as a most merciful and loving man is gone. If on the other hand he says, don't stone the woman, they say, ah, see, you're breaking the law. Jesus has got no respect for the law. He's had it. He can't get out of this one. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. Oh, I wish I knew what he wrote. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Well, then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Jesus did not gloss over sin. I, I read this story in this church, and a man who'd come here for years said, Jeremy goes light on sin, and he left, and he's never come back. But that's a story from the Bible. Jesus did not gloss over sin. In the story, Jesus moved the whole focus. At the start of the story, the focus is on this woman was caught doing something very evil. She deserves to die. And by the end of the story, the whole focus is, all right, bucko, what about you? What about you, fellas? The focus is off the woman, and everybody just slopes off. They've been busted. That kind of wisdom is the most supernatural and amazing thing. Just like Solomon with the famous baby in the sword story. Just like Jesus with the should we pay taxes to Caesar story. You think you've, they're caught, they're stonkered, but they're not. Because God's wisdom from the wonderful counselor saves the day. Can Jesus, the wonderful counselor, give us wise counsel? Yes. People come to Jesus and they say, I need to know what to do. And we hear stories right here. Of this, Jocelyn stood up in a memorable story, you'll remember, and she said, I was in hospital, I was low and gloomy and feeling sorry for myself, and God said to me, praise me. She did not feel like doing that any more than you or I would, but she started to praise God, and things began to lift. First, her wairua, her spirit, then, of course, she, her healing began, and she obeyed the wonderful counselor. 
Kate stands up here too sometimes, doesn't she? And she's in a, in a conundrum. There's a difficult situation. And she thinks back to something she has heard from the Word of God. And she puts it into action. And her children, both of them, Elijah and Ali, are doing the same thing too. That's a family that's raised with, we hear what God says, we do it, because this stuff comes from the wonderful counselor. So if you need counseling, go to Jesus. But be, ho- be open about how he gives you that counsel. You know that Jesus heals us, but it's often through humans, isn't it? That's just how he does it. He heals people through his followers, through us. Jesus feeds the hungry. You know that. But he does it through us. We've got ways of doing it. We're his body. And uh, Jesus shows love to lonely people. But he does it through us. Not always. Jesus can just come into a room when no one's there. But often he sends one of us, doesn't he, at the right moment. Often he shares his wisdom with us through humans too, his followers, us. So be willing to listen to godly people and at least consider what they say. Now people come to us, they know we're Christians, and in a way they're really really asking God for help, even if they don't really believe in God. If somebody comes to you, and you know what they really need is the wisdom of God, are you confident to help them? In 1 Corinthians 2, Paul writes this. He says, who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to teach him? But we understand these things, for we have the mind of Christ. It's from the New Living Translation. We have the mind of Christ. Now, the Bible teaches we're the body of Christ, but Paul also writes we have the mind of Christ. We think like him, not perfectly, not all the time, not from the beginning, but over time we begin to have Christ-like thoughts. So if you're counseling someone, listen to them, be humble, listen to God and see what he's telling you. And when I'm counseling someone, I don't tell people what to do, but I often tell them what I would do or what I did in the same situation. It's not my job to tell people what to do or to tell you what to do. All I ask, as always, is you think about what I'm saying and consider it. Please be aware when somebody comes to you for good advice that God might speak to them. And if that happens, encourage it. Sometimes you'll say, is God telling you something? And God is telling them something. Because if we can teach these people to hear the voice of God, we're doing them a favor, aren't we? Because actually our job is to make disciples, to teach people to hear God for themselves. That's our job. I want to talk a bit about professional counselors because I I made a little joke about them before. My brother, Andrew, was dying of grief. He'd suffered a loss so much that it was almost as if he was fading before our eyes. He was, I would say, literally dying of grief. And God sent people along to sustain him through that time. And one of the people who came along was a professional counselor called Diane. And Andrew fully engaged with the counseling. And uh, he, he really did. And as she counseled him professionally, we could just see him beginning to rebuild back a quality of life. And she said to him, after six months, she said, Andrew, you've made as much progress in six months as most people would take two years because he fully engaged with the professional counseling uh, situation. So I want to tell you I do believe in qualified counselors just in case you thought I was dismissing it. 
But at the same time, the people who made a real difference in Andrew's life were Diane, Bill Sabritsky, a lawyer, Pat Sabritsky, a housewife, Lance, his mate, a hot-headed master printer, his three-year-old granddaughter, Soraya, and me, bush mechanic and amateur pianist. So what you can see is that God can send people from all kinds of backgrounds, including you. You can be the way that people, that God talks to people. You see, I've often said myself, I'm not a counsellor, and in a sense I'm not. I don't have the diploma, but we know the wonderful counsellor, so we can help each other. Listen to this surprising thing. See if you find it surprising. We all learn to take challenges in our stride, and many of us find relief from everyday troubles through talking to friends, our partners, through exercise or meditation or through faith. Now I'll tell you why it's surprising. That's a quote from the American Counseling Association. Now I think that's true, but I didn't expect professional counselors to say it. But they did. Professional counselors have a message for you. You can get a lot of comfort and strength from talking to ordinary people. There you go. Of course, a bit later on, they say, come and see us too. Now, not all professional counselors know God's wisdom. Our next door neighbor decided to become a counselor. And so he studied counseling for three years at counseling school and came out with a university degree in counseling, qualifying at the exact same time as his third marriage fell to bits. He was a nice guy. I liked him. But his wife told us he learned all this stuff in counseling school, but he didn't seem to be able to apply it in his own home situation. His wife was lovely. There's something about that, isn't it? And what I want to tell you is if you, if you need counseling, if you want to get somebody to give you some good advice, can you please pick a success? Like if you need some advice about marriage, can you talk to somebody who's made a reasonably good job of their marriage? If, if you're going to ask somebody about child raising, can you please ask somebody who seems to have raised their kids well? Certainly when I was growing up, that often seemed to not include teachers. Uh, if somebody, if you've been bereaved, or if you've got cancer, or if you've got a flooded garage, talk to somebody who's managed to get through these things and surmount. Because there are people out there who claim to be experts who've actually, they're a bit of a muck-up. True? says so that's not. We've got a wonderful counsellor in our church. Her name is Val. She's sitting there. And uh, I talked to a man who, who'd had an appalling childhood. He'd been sexually abused for years and years. He'd just been kept and, and used. And he was very, very messed up. He joined one of New Zealand's toughest gangs. And he was a meth cook for years. In and out of prison, a tough cookie. And he said to me, Valerie is the best counsellor I have ever met. And that's, this is why he said it. I won't use his exact language, but what he said was, most counsellors just sort of sit around and listen and go, oh yes, as if the answer lies in you. How can we help you find the answer that lives, with you, lives in you? But he said, Valerie says, what you need to do is this. He said, that's exactly what I need. Somebody who says, pull finger out and do this, you know. And so he thought that Val, this old English lady from a totally different background, was the best counsellor he'd ever met. Why is that? I'll tell you why. Because we have the mind of Christ, that's why. She knew the wonderful counselor. Consider this, systematic professional training, a walk with God, years of life experience, a knowledge of the wonderful counselor. Put them all together, you've got a powerful force for good. Have you got the message, I'm not dissing professional counselors? 
just some of them. All right. Sometimes, sometimes Jesus can give you, sometimes Jesus can give you a wise insight which you know comes from him. Listen to this story. It's parent interviews day. I'm in parent interviews. And a mother comes in, and I talk to her about her son, and I say, well, yes, his maths is this, and he's reading is this. And then I say, look, there's something you need to know. Your son is obsessed with violence. All day, I'll waste you. I'll smash you. Shut up. I'll smash you. Like everything he says is violence, violence, violence. I probably wasn't that forthright with the mother. But I said, it's a real problem. I'm worried about your son. He's, he's 12, 13, and he's going to, you know, he's going to get in trouble. We've got to do something about this. The mother listened to me well enough. But a couple of hours later, a man walked in to the school. I was the only one there. He's kind of going like this. I don't like the way you talk to my wife. Big guy. You see, at that point, I have to come up with something quite wise, don't I? I've got, I've got to respond now. Oh, hello, Fred. Can you come back tomorrow, please, when I've had a time to think about this? Mm-mm. wasn't going to be like that. So this is what I said. I thought for a moment, and I said, thank you for doing the right thing. See, in this town, a lot of people gossip and badmouth and go and tell bad stories about people. But as soon as you were upset, you came straight here to see me. And that was the right thing to do, and I thank you. You should have seen the guy. So he came, and he sat on the chair, and we started talking about his son. Because just like in the other story, the focus had changed. When he walked in, the focus is, I don't like how you talk to my wife. And after the wisdom of Christ has come through, the issue is, how can we help your son? Which was always meant to be, wasn't it? So I want you to think for a moment, how did that happen? Did the thought just drop into my head like it did with Jocelyn in the hospital? Or had I just read the Bible so much and had I thought about the Bible so much that it became second nature? You know, in the book of Proverbs, it says a soft answer turns away wrath, but harsh words stir up anger. And I didn't need to look that up because I've read it lots of times. Was it that? Or was it the fact that I've spent a lot of time in Christian company with people who manage their lives well? That I spent time with you lot and with this lot and that I got used to doing things the wise way? Was it Christian company over many years that gave me that answer? Or was it teaching? Was it like Kate, where I'd heard things, I'd heard people stand up and say things, and I'd listened, I'd listened to, the, to messages and sermons, and through the years, they'd lodged there in a way that I could just pull them down and, and use, use that knowledge when I needed to. I want to tell you, I think it's all those things. I think it's all those things. You see, if you do all those things, if you let God speak to your innermost mind, If you read the Bible so much it becomes a part of you, if you keep company with Christians and begin to see the normal as Christian behavior, and if you listen to messages and remember the things you've heard, I think you will have those moments more and more. Do you believe me? I think it's true. In conclusion, I want to say this. If people say, what is Jesus Christ to you? You might say he's my savior. You might say he's my Lord. You might say he's my provider, my protector, my friend, but not many people would probably think to say Jesus is my wonderful counselor, but he is. Jesus is a wonderful counselor. When you're in trouble, he can personally tell you what to do. And as you think about his words in life, you can build habits that make you strong. 
and through your Christian friends, you can hear his wise counsel because we have the mind of Christ. Nowadays, I hear a lot on the news and so on about this buzzword resilience. Do you hear this? Resilience. You see, we've had a lockdown. There's a cost of living crisis. People lose their jobs. Teen romances bust up. There are divorces. Someone dies and people fall to bits. And the answer the government tells us is we have to be more resilient. We have to help our children be more resilient. We have to have our finances more resilient. We have to have our health system more resilient. Our roads need to be more resilient. You've heard it, haven't you? They've said, the government said, we are going to make our roading network more resilient. (laughs) Uh, I've got to say this for the podcast. Okay, Sue says, they say road works everywhere, but they don't work. We have to have an economy that's more resilient. We hear so much about resilience, don't we? So if tough times come at us, boing, we kind of bounce back. And yet what we see is the opposite. We see tragedies. We, I, we see, I saw a boy, 12 years old. He wasn't picked for the rugby team, so he went for home from school and killed himself. That's not resilience. Somehow he'd missed the memo. Hey, kid, life has disappointments. And there will be more. But don't give up. How can we build resilience? Jesus doesn't use the word resilient, but he tells us how to get it. Bad things do happen, and they will happen, and they keep happening, and they've happened. I've seen more sadness. This is a considered statement. I've thought about it. But if I think of all the sadness and grief and loss that I saw by the time I turned 18 and thought, think of a quantity, I think I've seen that much this week. It weighs us down, doesn't it? It's hard. How can we build resilience? Well, listen to this. This is a Bible passage. It's called Building on a Solid Foundation. It's from the New Living Translation. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. Of all the wonderful things we can do with our lives, I think helping people to cope with life's challenges is one of the most wonderful. And the most wonderful way to do that is to get to know the wonderful counsellor and to help others to get to know him too. It all points to Jesus. Thanks for listening to the Huntley